Hello and welcome to the 47th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody and I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you doing? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. It's, uh, I don't know if we spoke since last time. We got an apparent blizzard over the weekend, which is always fun. But, uh, what else is new in Minnesota? How is, how's the weather in your neck of the woods? Oh, you know, it's good. Uh, it rained a little bit the other day, but first time in a few months. So it was a little <laughs> weird. I was just thinking when I said in your neck of the woods, I forgot that Al Roker is actually a uh, MK Ultra agent. Have you ever seen that meme? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Where he just like freezes in place. <laughs> that's just pretty funny. Yeah, that's uh, I think Shaq did the same thing. They were trying to say the same thing about Shaq. He just froze. He just kind of stuck in, yeah, he just stuck in place. Something I I heard that you might like is I heard they did a thirty for thirty on the uh, Orlando Magic recently. Yeah, I've actually I saw that uh, back when Shaq and uh, a few other good people like Penny Hardaway was on the team. Yeah, they uh, the guys on Crime and Sports were talking about. They were talking about I can't even Mookie Mookie something another. I don't know what his name. He played for the Atlanta Hawks. Do you remember him at all? Yeah, he was like the really short guy, wasn't he? Well, I think he was six one, but everybody thinks he's short because of <laughs> everybody else is like seven foot. When he stands next to the center, he looks like a little kid. Yeah, yeah. but he's six one. He's taller than I am. Uh, but uh, anyway, Phil, you said you wanted to bring up the new Netflix documentary about Malcolm X. Oh yeah, so uh, we did an episode a few weeks ago on Cointel Pro and uh, talked a lot about Malcolm X. Actually, Netflix just came out with a really good documentary and uh, found out some things, kind of some things that I got right and some things I got wrong. Uh, so really, they were talking about the people who got uh, arrested outside of the dude who got his ass kicked um, outside of the rally. And apparently, according to this documentary, those two guys who have been claiming that they're innocent this whole time might actually be innocent and it might be other men who actually committed uh, well, the conspiracy to kill Malcolm X. So so I, I don't remember. Do you remember all their prison sentences, the length? Well, they all got 20 to life, but the two guys who um, went to jail with very little proof, they got out after 20 years. And okay. the guy who got caught outside of the Audubon dance hall, who was getting his ass kicked by the crowd... He spent longer in jail, but he didn't serve the whole life term. Really? So he's out free somewhere. I'm not sure if he's actually alive or dead at this <laughs> point, but they did do a really good interview with one of the guys who was allegedly falsely imprisoned. And he claims that uh, for various reasons, it couldn't have been him. One of which was the fact that he was a Nation of Islam member and they would never let him in to the ballroom that day where Malcolm X was. So it was pretty good, though. So you'd recommend people check it out? Yeah, I'm kind of a, I, I like history documentaries, so not everyone would like it, but they do talk about Cointelpro a lot in there and J. Edgar Hoover. Nothing about cross-dressing or his uh, <laughs> his lifestyle choices, but they do talk about J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, our boy J. Edgar. Maybe we'll have to just do an entire episode about him one day. Yeah, that would be great. Bring up, <laughs> I would, I would like that just for the uh, posting to Instagram, all of the funny memes about him and you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, cross dressing anyway. and everything. <laughs> Good point. 
Uh, well, anyway, this an episode of Subliminal Deception is never complete without going back to Pauline Bennett's World of the Unusual. Now, this episode of the Weekly World News is from January 13th, 1989, literally a week after last week's episode. Um, we're going to go through a few stories this time. Uh, we got some weird ones. So the first one is Eerie Death Curse Stalks Young Bride's Wedding Day. So Diane Wilk is terrified that a sinister death curse is stalking her wedding day. The 23-year-old Chicago secretary has been forced to cancel her wedding twice because of deaths in the family. Her August wedding was postponed when her brother, uh, her brother John tragically drowned. Then she had to halt the November wedding day when her mother, Florence, died in a hit-and-run accident near the family's home. It kind of scares me, said Diane. I kind of blame myself. Every time I set a date to get married, something happens. We're not going to tell anybody about the date next time. <laughs> Meanwhile, Diane's <laughs> 25-year-old sister, Susan, believes the whole family is marked for tragedy. Four years ago... Their brother, Lewis, was found dead in a park, and a year ago, their father was seriously disabled by a series of heart attacks. So, ooh, that is a <laughs> cursed family. I don't know if poor Diane Wilk actually got married or not. Judging by, like, the timeline of things that have happened, uh, she might be dead anyway, so hopefully not. But, uh, wow, that what a crazy <laughs> thing to happen. Jeez, if you need to look for evidence that like of her wedding just look for like church fires or something like that <laughs> just the most horrible thing a meteor hit the whole town on the day of her wedding i think i might need to do some in-depth research if uh, a diane wilk was married in chicago anytime during the 60s or not I, I think we need to look for that one yeah if anyone from fucking uh tlc the learning channel is listening to this that'd make a pretty good fucking reality tv show <laughs> They make every other wedding TV show out there, pretty much. Very good point. Uh, <laughs> let's go through the second story here. Now, this one is a lot darker. Uh, it says, he kills dogs for a birthday coat. That's the uh, title of it. A love struck... 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah, this is just about Cruella DeVille. That's all this is about. <laughs> A love-struck man outraged animal lovers of an entire city by making a bizarre birthday gift for his girlfriend. The Louisville, Kentucky man bought five sickly Doberman pincher dogs, shot them, and skinned them just so his girlfriend could have a full-length uh, fur coat. Humane society groups in the city were up in arms when the five bloody bodies of the dogs were found. The bodies were discovered in a garbage dumpster behind his apartment building. Uh, a $1,250 reward was offered for the phantom butcher who had shot the dogs in the head and skinned them. Uh, animal owners were terrified that a dog-hating madman was on the loose in the city looking for other pets to kill. Finally, the local newspaper got a letter from the man's ex from the man explaining his bizarre <laughs> birthday gift. I thought that was... He got a letter from his ex. Uh, I was going to say, no, it's from him, apparently. Uh, he says, there is no mystery. No one needs to be scared. Uh, he said that he bought the dogs, which were sickly and dying, from a kennel for $20 a piece. Then he said he killed them painlessly with a single shot to the head. 
Oof, god yeah. damn. I hope he went to jail or something. I wonder, did he like did he actually give this gift to his girlfriend? Like uh, yeah, that's and if what he I did. That's if what he it did, said. did he like tan the skin? Or did he just give it to her like <laughs> just like a bleeding fur coat? That's all he gave her. Just like the bleeding skin of a dog. Like Ugh, I, I don't I don't know. It's that is fucking weird. And I feel like that man should be in jail for that. I'm pretty sure he could have bought a fake fur coat from the Salvation Army for like eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> See why he had to shoot five probably I'm guessing differently colored dogs. Like <laughs> I have, I don't know what he did. This I guess it was a different time way back then, but fucking a man. Um, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> fucked up. Before we get into the episode, and I think this will actually, uh, Madam Bennett's prediction for the week actually kind of correlates to something that happened uh, last week. Uh, she says the Academy Awards presentations next spring will be marred by a hair pulling, dress tearing fight between two of the nominated actresses. Um, unless Kanye West is one of them, I don't think that's going to happen. No, probably not. I don't, <laughs> he's I don't the see only many one of who, them, actually. He's the only one who I think's made an ass of himself, and I don't know if that's at the Academy Awards or the Grammys. I can't remember. I think that one was at the Grammys. I, that was, was for music. Yeah. Because it was between uh, Beyonce and Taylor Swift. Yeah, I remember that. God, he's such a tool bag. Yeah, that was such a great video to rewatch. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, Phil, I'll let you take the reins from here. I don't know what we're talking about today, but I'm uh, excited to hear it. Well, uh, I actually wanted to go to a little-known state, one that people don't really visit much or care much about. Iowa. So actually, might no, well, not <laughs> Iowa. They're in like number two or three for that. But the mysteries of Vermont. Oh, okay. All right. How mysterious can Vermont be? Well, it's a little surprising. Uh, Vermont's <laughs> it's pretty underrated. Yeah, know, it's, uh, it's off the radar. What are they so known? A little for? Hit... What are they known for? Are they like a, uh, a coastal state where like the seafood would be good, or what? I think they're known for backwoods folk and mm. kind of. Uh, they're they're one of those like on the border with Canada. So it sounds like maybe by the end of this, Stephen King should have wrote about Vermont instead of Maine. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, Maine's <laughs> in the same boat. They're, yeah. uh, they're pretty backwoodsy. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So a little history on Vermont. Samuel de Champlain claimed the area of what is now known as Lake Champlain and named it Verdmond, meaning Green Mountain, which is thought to have carried on into English settlers after the French was at the French and Indian War that saw many French settlers kicked out of the newly claimed area. And after the war, the area known as Vermont morphed into what we know of today as Vermont. So it was originally called Vermont. Verd Mond. Verd Mond. Yeah. Okay. Do you? Okay. So obviously it has French roots, but uh, do you think they allow French people there still? I don't know. I imagine <laughs> it's a pretty uh, homogenous area, kind of like New Hampshire. So. <laughs> Well, I heard uh, the Vermont, Vermont militia has been trying to take over Quebec for quite a while. I have not heard of that. <laughs> I should have looked more into that, yeah. maybe. They don't like so the French Verm anymore. Yeah. So Vermont was highly uninhabited, and it's not a part of the original 13 colonies that was omitted to statehood after the Revolutionary War. 
Uh, they were actually admitted in 1791, and this was to counter the admission of Kentucky the next year, which was a slave state. Okay. So along with other early settlers, the mostly lumberjack, fishermen, and trappers of the area were the inhabitants of Vermont. Also, many Native Americans, including the Wabanaki tribe, which will become important later. Mm, a and lot of legends? In the legend, yeah. yeah. In what is known as the Northern Kingdom of Vermont, just outside of Brunswick, <laughs> which is a town of about 100 people. This is a bowling company? A bowling company? Just no, a you Brunswick? Bit. You've never heard of Brunswick bowling? No, I've never heard of Brunswick bowling. <laughs> uh, they make, like, uh, I think... Balls, shoes, gloves, all that horse shit. Yeah, I never get too into it. I usually just uh, fucking hold my nose and put the shoes on. <laughs> Apparently, uh, getting your own ball made makes all the difference. That's what I've heard. That's a rumor. Yeah, I, I used to know a kid who uh, brought his own, he brought a suitcase with him to the, uh, like his own shoes, his own balls, and uh, all of like his own rags and everything. And it was like, dude, we're just here to drink. <laughs> And hang out. It was a fraternity league. Ah, yeah. uh, there's always that one guy who takes it way too serious. Anyway, <laughs> continue. <Yeah. laughs> Dude, we're just here to talk to the sorority chicks. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> so just outside of Brunswick, Vermont, is the Brunswick Springs, which are said to have been cursed during the 18th century by a local Native American tribe. Now, the legend is that the Abenaki tribe live near the Brunswick Springs, and relied on the water for their natural healing abilities. Okay, so, I mean, that makes sense. I don't know about, you know, healing abilities, but uh, it sounds like something that you could probably buy as a uh, holistic me medicine in uh, California. Yeah, it works enough. And <laughs> I should say at the time, healing waters were pretty, pretty big uh, at this time, which I'm going to say in a few minutes, but... It was the uh, the time of the story is actually pre-revolutionary war America. Ah, okay. You can't get away with healing waters anymore. Yeah, not not too easy anymore with the <laughs> FDA around. Not even so, uh, Perrier can uh, convince you that their $10 bottle of waters has a healing property. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> People will try, though. <laughs> oh, so <yeah. laughs> a British soldier actually injured his arm, and this is according to legend. His Abenaki companions took him back to the springs and laid him under the flowing water, which mysteriously healed him. Huh, okay. For some yeah. reason in my head, I just have it, basically his arms completely severed, and they just put it in the water and it goes back together. Wouldn't that be sweet? Like Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z. Oh, it just kind of like pops out of the, <laughs> yeah. the nub. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he had a cut, and then a whole shitload of leeches attached to his arm, and they they actually cured it, you know, but he thinks it's the water. <laughs> he, all it is is just his arm, like, with a bunch of leeches, like, acting in unison. Yeah, yeah. that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> the Brunswicks at the time were known to the Native Americans as medicine waters of the Great Spirit. Their curative powers, the Awadaki believed, were a precious gift to be shared. So later on, the soldier returned to the springs to bottle the water and sell it as a cure-all. However, the people of the Abenaki tribe disagreed with the selling of something that was natural and sacred to them and attempted to stop the entrepreneur. Is this soldier's last name Ice Mountain by chance? It could be. I thought it might be like <laughs> Lieutenant Nestle or something like that because they seem to do the same thing. He's, uh, he's Sergeant Voss. <laughs> Sergeant Voss, yeah. <laughs> 
That'd be if it was a French soldier. I was just gonna say, come on, fucking white people, man. Jesus. Yeah. So sadly, just like any other time people stood up to Big Pharma, there were casualties. <laughs> An Abenaki man and a child were killed in the struggle. Ooh. And legend has it that the mother of the child was a powerful sorceress and cursed the springs. Okay. Now, it's said that the curse is that anyone who tries to profit from the springs will fail. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So... You can imagine rumors spread throughout the region about the healing powers of the water. As I mentioned before, healing powers became very popular, especially in upper-class Europe. Oh, and boarding yeah. houses started to spring up all over the area. Uh, I guess you didn't really clarify. Is this like a a lake, a pond, a stream, a river? Like, what is it? Oh, I'm about to get in the springs a little bit. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. So as I mentioned, with boarding houses opening up everywhere, inevitably... In 1860, the first hotel was built, with claims that the healing water was piped directly into each of the 60 rooms. However, the owner of the hotel is said to have made a horrible mistake when he opened a bottling plant in order to spell the special water years later. Oh, he got a little too greedy. Yeah, definitely. So, about the springs, uh, so there's supposedly six different mineral waters coming out of the springs and those minerals are iron calcium magnesium sulfur bromide and arsenic i mean nowadays the water is able to be analyzed and mostly just contains sulfur dioxide with the levels at each source uh pretty much the same of just sulfur dioxide uh these springs actually flow down into crystal lake and a different river that runs through the area Okay, so maybe this, all those minerals is why Jason Voorhees never dies. Yeah, that's true. Oh, I didn't even think of Crystal Lake. Yeah. <laughs> Could be what keeps him alive. <laughs> maybe that's why he can never die, because he's getting this miracle spring water runoff. It came in, it brought him back for, what is it, like 21 movies now, and even got him out into space? I actually think it has now officially been... 10 years since they have had a uh, Friday the 13th movie. Really? I think they might be geared up for one, especially in this current climate of uh, remakes. You know what? Actually, the uh, so they had the remake. I'm not sure how long ago it was, but uh, it actually is not that bad. Uh, it's starring the guy, one of the guys from Su Supernatural. Oh, okay. The Jason Pilecki or the shorter guy? Uh, who's the one with longer hair? I think that's Paladecki. Okay. I, I never say his name right. But... <laughs> I think that's him. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is him. So in 1894, a fire burned down the Brunswick Springs house, forcing the owner to rebuild the new hotel, which prospered actually until his death in 1910. So, so it it took a while, but the hotel did burn down. Okay. But the second time he rebuilt it, I'm guessing he stopped pumping the water then? I'm not exactly sure about that. Uh, it just mentioned that it was after he started pumping the water and trying to sell it that the hotel did burn down. <laughs> you know, uh, legend has it here in uh, the Twin Cities, mainly in Minneapolis, if they have hotels to pump water from the Mississippi River, you'd uh, probably contract radiation sickness. Oh, yeah, you'd get something like <laughs> Tetanus. Fucking... You start glowing in the dark. That's the rumor. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's fucking. I remember one summer we actually went and stayed at a houseboat on the Mississippi River. And we were out there swimming in the water and all of the people like also staying in the little houseboats were just staring at us, wondering what the <laughs> fuck we were doing. They, of course, all just went to the pool, you know, but. Well, that's when you learn that Stan Lee is a liar and you did not gain superpowers from radiated water. No, it is harder for me to get sick nowadays, though. So, Well, you know what? Maybe everybody needs to just uh, take the miracle of uh, a Chernobyl ch- uh, tour, get a little radiation <laughs> sickness, and then you'll be cured of everything. Have you tried the miracle cure of being poor when you're young? <laughs> <laughs> So a man named John C. Hutchins of Stratford, New Hampshire, eventually bought the hotel after the death of the original owner. The hotel again burned down in 1929. So after he bought this, the hotel shortly burned down. So he bought it from the uh, previous guy you were talking about. Well, the previous guy had died in 1910, and then whoever owned it after that, he bought it from. Okay, so he's like the third in line. From the original hotel that burned down, got rebuilt, someone else owned it, and then he bought it from that guy. Yep. Okay. So after it burned down, he wanted to build an even grander four-and-a-half-story hotel. However, it also burned down one month before opening in May 1930. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, that's kind of weird. Although I'm going to throw this out there, Phil. A lot of people during this time didn't seem to think kerosene lanterns were very dangerous to leave running all the time, but... uh... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't think it was kerosene lanterns. I think it was electricity at this time. So the fire is said to have been caused by paint fumes in a storage room, and a night watchman reported seeing smoke billing out of the storage room, but was not able to call for help as the phone lines were damaged by the fire. Okay, well, I mean, that makes sense, too, because they probably didn't understand that paints can, what do they call that, combustible? Combustible, yeah. yeah. So I know there's one kind of oil that if you, like, open it up and throw a, a rag inside of it, it'll just start on fire. Really? The, uh, yeah, something about how the uh, the oil kind of, like, reacts to air, it'll just light right up. Wow, okay. I, I don't know if it's used as like a paint stripper or something like that, but yeah. I'm guessing that's what's uh, probably kept Dick Cheney alive for all these years. Oh, yeah. Probably drinks it. <laughs> Could be. If you throw a rag the, uh... on him, he he keep bursting the flames. <laughs> well, something's got to keep his mechanical parts all lubricated. So <laughs> I can't wait so till hot. somebody shoots him in the face and his robot face gets exposed. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking uh, Terminator? Yeah. Or... Or he, uh, just like the T-1000, his fucking liquid face just <laughs> fucking blows out. <laughs> he comes back together. Or leeches jump on and like... Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Hutchinson rebuilt the hotel. And on April 23rd, 1931, the newly rebuilt hotel burned down once again. So that's if you're, if you're counting, that's uh, three fires in two years where it completely burned to the ground. Okay, yeah, this is uh, a little more than a coincidence now. Yeah, definitely. So neither Hutchinson or anyone else ever tried to rebuild the hotel. The foundation for where the 1931 hotel was still exists, along with stairs to the cellar. And all that is just above the springs. There are also still many of the old paths that led down to the springs 
on the grounds of the hotel. But now nothing is allowed to be built on the hotel as the Abenaki tribe has acquired the land and the springs that are sacred to them. And they put it basically, I didn't really understand how it works. They put it into a trust and this trust will not allow any new buildings to be built on the land. Huh? Well, I'm going to assume what that means is so the tribe itself, uh, I assume it's now uh, reservation land or whatever. Now, when you make a trust from uh, kind of what I understand is you, you make it so future generations are not allowed to then sell it off. Yeah. So if a rich person sets up a trust, his uh, greedy little grandkids can't just split up the money and just yeah. run off. Yeah. It's basically so people have to, um, you know, obey your wishes after you're dead, essentially. Yeah, which is kind of what this tribe, I guess, wants for the land in the springs. They don't want Nestle to come in there and just pump it all out <laughs> like they would. Can you imagine if Nestle did that and then all of a sudden every chocolate factory in the world uh, that Nestle owns just burst into flames? Yeah, it's another. <laughs> Nestle is actually like a super corporation. It's another uh, arm of their, like, what they sell is water, but... Supposedly, Nestle owns like a bunch of the little local waters that everyone thinks is like a mom and pop um, factory type situation. Really? Yeah, they own they own a ton of uh, a ton of water. And what they'll do is the reason why I keep I I saw a documentary on uh, like stealing water from local populations. Nestle's one of the worst at it. What they'll do is they'll go in and buy like like an acre of someone's land. They'll stick a well on it, and then they'll pump out as much water as they want and not pay a dime for it to the city wow. or the county. Yeah, they're really bad about it. I mean, yeah, that's too, it's sad, but it's like, I feel like most people don't even realize they're doing it. Yeah, it's shitty too, because they like, when it comes to taxes, they claim to be like a gigantic corporation. But when it comes to water laws, they claim to be a small time little operation. <laughs> oh, we just got a little well there. You know, I'm sure if they could bother pump, us, I'm sure if they could pump chocolate out of the ground, they'd probably do that, too. Oh, yeah. They're uh, yeah, they're definitely not a, a happy little nice corporation like everyone thinks they are. <laughs> you think of, you think of Nestle and you think of an old lady just baking chocolate, you know, I can tell house. you what I can tell you one thing. I think people after they hear this, they're going to say, move out of the way, big tobacco, big chocolate is the big threat in the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so along with the springs, there are said to be many ghosts haunting the area. There was also inside the town, I guess there was a bed and breakfast that was over 200 years old. And that was featured on one of those monster hunting shows. I'm not exactly sure which one. There's a ton of them, but hmm. uh, I saw a story on it. And there's also stories of slain Native American ghosts that supposedly overlook the springs. And the ghost of the shaman, which kind of haunts the area of Crystal Lake near the Brunswick Springs. Okay, well, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if it's just, like, they're trying to get more people into this town, and that's why they kind of talk about the hauntings now. But it does seem like a little bit of a, like, they're trying to get, like, a ghost destination tour. Oh, to, like, come out to this place and uh, check it out or whatever? Check out the ghosts. Yeah. Okay. I mean, for some reason, when it comes to like 
Native Americans, apparently the ghosts of them are just like everywhere, ready to haunt everything, you know. As someone who's, uh, you know, looked a lot into the paranormal stuff, it always seems to be Native Americans. Well, I do wonder that because a lot of them, well, in the Midwest, were built in, uh, or I should say were buried in these little mounds that were built up. And like Effigy Mounds is in southeastern Minnesota. A lot of those mounds were just like mowed over or like torn up yeah. and turned into farmland. Yeah. So I wonder how many how many of these little farmhouses spread across the Midwest are haunted as fuck from uh, Native American <laughs> built ghosts. on their lands. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it makes you wonder. Yeah, it's weird. I wouldn't. Uh, well, I think that Poltergeist movie was like the same situation, but yeah, I, where they where I, they dug up the Indian burial grounds. I can't remember if it was just a regular graveyard or if it was an Indian burial ground, but yeah, they definitely just like plop their house on top of some sort of graves of, of people or whatever. The well, what I do remember mostly is the Family Guy episode where Peter finds the uh, the Indian uh, burial ground and it's like the chief's skull and he like wears it as a cup and drinks from it. <laughs> yeah, that one. That's pretty. <laughs> That's a pretty memorable episode. That was their Portuguese episode. <laughs> For the second part of this episode, I'm going to head back to pre-Revolutionary War America and back to the Northern Kingdom in Vermont. As I mentioned before, there were very few settlers in what would become the state of Vermont. And allegedly, living alongside these people in the territory was a very mischievous cryptoid known by the name given to him by the Wabanaki. The name was Weejuk. What? Weejuk? Weejuk. Yeah. W-E-J-U-K. Sounds like a uh, hockey player's last name. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Samuel de Champlain, who I previously mentioned named the region, claimed that he met many natives who told stories of a creature they described as Stone Giant or Hairy Wild Man while exploring the St. Lawrence River in 1603. There is also a story about Champlain's party having pine cones thrown at them while sailing near the Muskoki Bay by this Hairy Wild Man. So he, he didn't want them around there. No, yeah. This, uh, this creature, whatever it is, really does not like people around. Okay, so him and I have a lot of uh, similar characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> you sit up in your room and fucking throw pine cones down at yeah. people crossing any, at the any, motorcyclists. Oh, God, I wish I could. Just like a fucking pine cone pipe bomb or something. Jesus. <laughs> so the Weejuk is said to be a large bear-like animal that is bipedal and acts more like a human than a bear. The animal is also said to have a mean disposition and is known to hold a grudge. The animal was known to flatten fields with uprooted tree trunks and tear up fences, also throwing rocks at machinery. So he, he in my mind, what you just laid out, he sounds like a very angsty teenager. Like, while he's tearing up tree trunks or whatever, he probably has, like, Green Day or My Chemical Romance playing or something. Yeah, slamming his door shut. <laughs> I told you to stay out of my room. <laughs> so the name Weejuk translates into wet skin, a name given to the beast because of its ability to slip out of any bear trap that had been set for it. Okay, that's kind of metal, actually. Yeah, so the Europeans 
translated this over to old slippery skin. And that was the name given to him. <laughs> that was the name given to the animal by the non-indigenous inhabitants of northern Vermont area. And he basically alluded the many honey parties that were sent out to track down and kill the monster. And that was both uh, of the Native Americans and the European settlers. Even being said to be able to backtrack its own path and step into its very own paw prints making the tracks that the hunters were following stop dead in their tracks. First question, Phil, isn't, don't the Europeans call Bob Barker old slippery skin? <laughs> I think so. He's got, uh, I don't know if he's got slippery skin, but he's definitely got like hanging down skin and pulled straight back into his fucking ears. <laughs> oh, you think he had a facelift? A facelift, yeah, dude. Like a forklift pulled that shit back. That's <laughs> they had an industrial <laughs> crane to pull his face back so it's tight again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So one of the earliest accounts from European settlers came from a scout with Rogers Rangers while they were on their way back from a raid during the French and Indian War. And the scout's name was Duluth. He reported that we're ever being annoyed for no reason, by a large black bear who were large pine cones and nuts down upon us from trees and ledges, the Indians being also disgusted and know him and call him Weejack or Wetskin. Wow, okay. Well, first off, that was an amazing accent. Second off, <laughs> if uh, if the Weejack isn't even afraid of Roger's rally team or whatever, then he's got some balls to steal. Yeah, I've been practicing my French accent. I basically just uh, bullshitted it with uh, a little bit of Scottish and a little bit of Italian. So did you, you? So did you get a? Did you have like a really tiny cigarette and a really long holder and stare at the mirror to yourself? <laughs> Drinking straight out of a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I did. <laughs> Scoffing at everything you see. <laughs> Eating a baguette. Yeah. So many stories from the region's small villages during the early 1800s describe Weejuk sightings, with stories from Lemington claiming that the creature enjoyed scaring and chasing livestock, ripping up fences, tearing up gardens, and throwing stones at machinery left in fields. Sounds like a real-life Tasmanian devil, if I'm being honest with you, Phil. Yeah, it sounds like this dude was just bored as fuck out in the woods <laughs> and kind of just wanted to raise a little hell. <laughs> Can't blame him. Yeah. Whenever a rifle would be raised against the animal, it would disappear back into the forest. And none of the villagers would know where it went or where it came from. So he, he almost knew what a gun was. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there is a lot of theories about what this could be. and But in the story, like the legends, they always say it's more human-like than bear-like. Like it knows that it's causing mischief and it knows when it's in danger, when it's being tracked. So, okay, in your research, did you happen to come uh, come across any beliefs that this could possibly be uh Brendan Fraser? It could possibly be <laughs> Brendan Fraser. The timelines don't really sync up that well, but he may be a necromancer. I do believe that he did sell his soul for a not very great uh career. He wasn't bedazzled, so yeah. you know, the devil could have given a bad deal on that. <laughs> That's it. That's how what he has to pay. He has to be a wild man in Vermont for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> or he was a wild man in Vermont. He sold his soul and became a 
not very talented actor. <laughs> Come with on, with the exception I, of the mummy. I, I was just gonna say, I'm. Have you seen George in the Jungle? <laughs> God, yeah. He he was awesome on Encino Man. Actually, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. See, that was his starting yep, role. It got go. him out of the Wild Man thing. Yeah. So the stories from Maidstone, which was not very far away from Leamington, were common to those from Leamington, with tales of the beast flipping over machinery and filling sap buckets, which uh, maple syrup, hmm. with rocks. However, there is another story for Maidstone uh, that is very interesting and also a little historic. The governor of Vermont at the time was in the middle of an election year and had traveled to the last known sighting of the Weejuk with a hunting party, where it was alleged that the animal had stolen a ham out of a smokehouse and had caused uh, a lot of other mayhem, including pushing over a haystack. So he was really going for broke with that haystack. Damn. Okay. This is confirmed, Brendan Fraser. Yeah. So the governor would try something that no one else had even thought of. In 1815, he showed up outside of the forest of Maidstone with a vial of ointment and poured it all over himself, then loading his gun. Okay. Now the gov- <laughs> yeah. Now, the governor was himself considered an excellent hunter and claimed that the oil was female bear scent and that he would rout out old slippery skin from the northern Vermont woods once and for all. Wow. Okay. I'm kind of hoping like this Charmin bear comes and mauls him, but uh, that's that's what I'm only so, got to. I don't know if uh, it didn't exactly confirm it, but I'm pretty sure female bear scent is uh, female bear piss. Yeah, so. it, it usually is. <laughs> it usually is. Yeah. So Governor Galusha then walked into the woods after the beast, and the story goes that the governor soon emerged from the woods running for his life with the monster hot on his tail, yelling to the hunters, Out of my way, boys! I'm bringing him in alive! <laughs> <laughs> the hunters all ran for their lives and scattered, without getting a single shot off against old Slippery Skin. So he just scared him out and led him to believe he was leading him into a trap, but then just kind of was like, All right, fuck you, Mayor. <laughs> I don't think he scared him out. I think he got the whatever it was, old slippery skin, horny as fuck, ah. <laughs> worried about a possible sexual assault when he ran out of the woods. <laughs> you don't want an old wet skin with an erection chasing you through the forest. That's uh, the thing of nightmares. Yeah, it was great how he um, like the story makes it sound like he walked into the woods. They didn't have to wait very long for the Ouija to just chase right after him. So. <laughs> <sighs> I'm just imagining the mayor gets home that night and his wife asks if he had them uh, them sex workers piss on him again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Could have been it. It was Quaker country. <laughs> it's true. So the story then states that the governor was not elected after this embarrassment. However, I did do a Wikipedia search on Governor Galusha, and it claims that he actually did win the election in 1815, uh, and it didn't at all mentioned the story about this particular hunt. So okay. I don't know. Wikipedia is not very reliable source. So who knows? <laughs> I can tell you one thing. If like the next, whoever runs for governor in Minnesota next time, uh, if they cover themselves in bear piss and run into a forest with their musket or whatever, you better believe they're getting my vote. 
Could have been Amy Klobuchar. She's gotten quite a bit of support lately. She she might be dousing herself with something. With bear piss. With bear piss. Better watch out when she gets on that debate stage. Like, I could see him not winning the election because he probably smelled like piss for like two years after that. Oh, yeah. And I imagine that bear didn't stop chasing him. I'm surprised <laughs> it didn't chase him right out of the fucking state. <laughs> so there are other stories of hunters being thwarted by the monster with a group of them walking down a logging road, seeing the Weejuk coming towards them from the other direction. And they hid alongside the road in an attempt to ambush the animal. That was until they heard a large thud and witnessed a tree stump rolling past them down the road. So they saw this tree stump. Uh, obviously, the Weejuk had thrown at them. And cutting their losses, the hunters decided to escape with their lives and not try to go after the animal. Damn, this guy does not. He so in uh, all seriousness, he must be like insanely strong. Oh yeah, I mean this is they they claim that his legs are like tree trunks and he's over eight feet tall. Yeah, I suppose. I, Jesus, tree trunks are heavy as fuck. Yeah, exactly. And it also claims that he, these are tree trunks that he had just uprooted. So basically he had ripped a tree trunk out of the ground and thrown it at them. I don't even think the goddamn mountain could do that. Yeah, well, I mean. He is the strongest which, man which, in the world which version of Which version of the mountain? <laughs> True. <laughs> that, that last, that third dude who played the mountain might have been able to do it, but. Yeah, the, the guy who played the mountain in the show, I think, is the world's strongest man right now. There was a there was a few dudes who played um, the mountain. Was there? I thought they were all the same guy. No, there was there was a few. I think there was three different ones. Um, I'm yeah, because I'm, I'm sensing an incoming email from uh, Holly to Phil <laughs> telling him who played the mountain. Yeah, there was a, there was a couple different people. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So there's also a story from a town called Westmore where a group of German clergymen were picnicking <laughs> on the shore of Lake Willie B. Oh, I like that name. Yeah, it's uh they got some pretty cool names out there actually. They got a lot of a mix of uh, Native American and French names. You know what? I was going to ask real quick. Um that just made me think. You don't really hear about uh religious uh people, I guess, talking about cryptids or anything. No, this is actually a story about that. Hmm. So, it's interesting. Yeah. So one day they were out uh, picnicking and suddenly set upon a wild animal. And it was, according to legend, old slippery skin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The how, clergyman. How, that? how awful does it sound to go on a picnic with three clergymen? Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many. uh Young men were along with them, but <laughs> hopefully not any. Well, it doesn't say if they were Catholic or I should mention <laughs> okay. that. And it was German, so they might have been mostly Protestant. They might most have had, wait, the good thing is they probably did have like potato salad and bratwurst, potentially. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely they had a probably a half a keg of beer with them. Hell yeah. <laughs> so the clergymen were forced to make a swift retreat for the safety of the woods after they had set upon old slippery skin. <laughs> now, a short while later, one of the clergymen was reported missing 
and no one could find where this missing clergyman was until later on when what appeared to be a mutilated body was found in the underbrush. Jesus. So he tore this guy up. Well, the story continues. So later on, it was determined that the body was actually the mangled remains of several cheese strudels, which had been part of the clergyman's picnic lunch. <laughs> how, how did they how did they confuse cheese strudels with the dead body? Yeah, I don't know. He must have been a doughy motherfucker. Like just they they just looked at this fat, ripped up fucking all the meat and or all the cheese and bread on the ground and been like, oh yeah, that's definitely what he was. I wonder I wonder if like the two other clergymen have watched this one been stabbed before and like just cheese strudel poured out of them or like I I, I, I don't know. I guess uh can you imagine a CSI episode where they find a bunch of cheese strudel everywhere and it takes the whole episode for him to figure out that this actually isn't a dead body? <laughs> of course, these uh, clergymen, if they did have a religious education like the one that we had, perhaps they were taught that <laughs> that's what a human looked like on the inside. Ah, uh, Yes, I could see that. I could just see us now back in a Catholic science class and we're dissecting a cheese strudel. <laughs> this is just yeah. like a real autopsy. Yeah, it goes without saying that uh, our science class wasn't exactly that in-depth. <laughs> so so the, the missing clergyman was actually found later, uh, and he was said to be okay. He had just ran off in a different direction, apparently. Okay, so I think that confirms there was way too much beer here. Yeah, apparently he must have ran pretty far because he was found in Chicopee, Massachusetts, which is not in Vermont, but it's... Did he think he was going to catch a fucking Red Sox game or what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. He's not much safer in Boston, though, so I don't know why he's yeah, running all the way he over there. He should have probably been trying out for the Olympics, I guess. Yeah, fucking running marathons back before <laughs> anyone else was doing it. <laughs> he was probably fucking jumping over trees and shit, doing his parkour. <laughs> no, no, this is just an exercise for me, boys. <laughs> I wasn't even scared of that fucker. I would love to see a fucking uh, clergyman in his cast socks and his little Jesus sandals parkouring all over the Vermont forest. In his Jesus sandals and his robe. Fucking yeah. <laughs> hopping around i always every time i hear like these old like uh stories of clergymen i always imagine like the old jesuit bishop the priests who were basically just like had the the head shaved around a circle oh, the top of, like the old abbots i always imagine them for some reason i can't wait till the hipsters bring that haircut back Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I've pretty much got that hairstyle right now. So. <laughs> so in another story about hunters trying to track down this animal, they claim that the Weejuk may have enjoyed being chased and that as the hunters tracked it down, the creature backtracked to a large rock and then leaped to an uncovered area so that the hunters wouldn't know that its path had diverged into a different direction. Uh, also claiming that the dogs had no way of being able to track the scent of the Weejuk because it was such an old animal that it had lost his scent, which I don't think animals lose their scent. Like, I mean, I'm sure they're not as like powerful as they are when they're younger, but um, 
from everything I've always heard, you know, animals like this are, I'm assuming this is along the lines of uh, Sasquatch or whatever. Yeah. Everyone says they stink pretty bad, so I feel like if a human can almost track them, I imagine any age of a dog could almost track them. That's what I was thinking, too, because obviously this I'm going to get in in a minute, but this is like uh, 1800s version of a Sasquatch. Um, and from what we all know about alleged Sasquatches now, like they have a very distinct smell of burning garbage that <laughs> a thousand people shit on while having the flu. Like it's just it's imagine the worst things you can. And that's basically what's said about it. Yeah, like, it just reeks. Well, and they're claiming that dogs can't pick up the scent of this thing, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I think these hunters are full of shit. But, uh, and if he has a name like Wet Skin or whatever, I can only imagine that means that he probably has, goes in the rivers too or whatever. And, like, Wet Dog is one of the worst smells ever. Oh, yeah, exactly. So I was also thinking with, uh, with this Weejuk story about the hunters trying to track him and then him... Uh, leaping off of a large rock onto an uncovered area, it would be hilarious if he set up little traps for the hunters, like Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Like a hot iron had it fall on their heads and burn their feet. He crushed a bunch of uh, Christmas ornaments and set them on the ground, <laughs> waiting for the hunters to step on them. That would be great. It'd add to his legend a little bit. <laughs> set little tacks down for when they fall down. They get tacks in their ass. He throws little micro machines on the ground so they trip on them. <laughs> <laughs> definitely so the popularity of the sasquatch during the last century which we just mentioned relabeled the legend of the weejuk into the bigfoot of the northern kingdom which is a nickname for the woodlands of rural northern vermont uh, the northern kingdom is apparently what they call the shithole in northern vermont <laughs> i mean let's not call it a shithole it might actually be very pretty <laughs> phil from from everything I've read about it, that's kind of how it how it's described. So it's a little bold to refer to it as a kingdom. I, though. I've never I've never been there. It's not you know actually it's not Pittsburgh. Let's yeah let's, okay. Let's, I'll reel. And I, I'm sorry, Vermonters. I'll reel that back. <laughs> In the beautiful Northern Kingdom. Mm. So, yeah. So just like with the Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest, there is also a theory that the original stories were Native Americans trying to scare off settlers from the indigenous lands, along with theories that the large creature was just a bear all along, and that the incredible feats have been largely exaggerated. I mean, you know, that with uh, hunters and stuff, that's kind of a, they still do it to this day. Exaggerate oh, yeah. shit, you know. Yeah, every single, like the Monster Hunters episode you hear, you always meet those people who... They they might be lacking in, you know, some social experiences and <laughs> just... had a few too many Miller lights, probably <laughs> in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So just like the Pacific Northwest, the wilds of Vermont have had their fair share of Bigfoot sightings in recent memory. In 2010, I'm going to say this name wrong. Frank Sienski claimed that he had taken a picture with an outdoor camera while trying to figure out what was trying to eat his apples on his land. He claims that he got a picture of a coyote and then what appears to be a female Sasquatch and a baby Sasquatch. And the female Sasquatch was crouching down over the baby. Uh, this all kind of looks like a fuzzy image of a bear, 
but Frank Sazunsky uh, claims that it is the elusive Sasquatch. And he was featured on the Animal Planet show Finding Bigfoot. Really? Yeah, it's a very if you see it, if you if if you see the picture, you'll recognize it immediately. It's a very famous Sasquatch. Okay, so then, yeah, I probably have uh, have seen this picture then. I might have to look it up after we get done recording just to kind of have another look at it. What, in your estimation, what do you think it looks like? What do I think the, well, I just kind of said it. I think it just like a, uh, either a bear, like a fuzzy image of a bear, or a human in a something like a ghillie suit, just kind of crouching down. Mm. I mean, if I was going to steal someone's apples, I would definitely be wearing a ghillie suit while I'm doing it. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, if I had to do the whole Occam's razor thing, I imagine it's that dude in a ghillie suit, you know, trying to make some friends, get himself out there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying now. He wants to uh, try to go viral or whatever, get famous. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's a very large coincidence that someone who's really into happens to get a picture of a Sasquatch on their wildlife camera, like on their property. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I always just hear those kind of stories and I'm like, oh, of course you found one, you know. <laughs> if you go look in, you're going to find one, right? Yeah. But I mean, really, the stories of the Weejuk are a little different than the modern Sasquatch stories. I know the Sasquatch stories of the Pacific Northwest He's very shy, and he does not like to be around people. Apparently, according to the Vermont legend, uh, the Weejuk really likes to be a um, a lo- He is a loner, but when he is intruded on, he likes to go fuck with people. So it is a little different than the Sasquatch stories. Okay. It makes you wonder if we, if, I'm air quoting here, if, if Sasquatch is real or whatever, like, you'd assume there'd be different... I don't know, breeds maybe of them or, you know what I mean? Like they'd have different characteristics. Oh yeah. Just like how we're all humans, but people from New Jersey are a lot different than people from California and <laughs> that's true. You know, yeah. New Mexico and Texas. And, yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. The, uh, well, I was thinking more like if you think about, say you take dogs, right? All the different species have different characteristics. So Who's to say mm. there couldn't be different characteristics with uh, Sasquatch? That's true. We don't even know. Sasquatch might be an alien. There's <laughs> a there's that theory, too. That's true. There was, I I wish I could remember the name of the uh, documentary I was watching, but it was basically this one guy. He camps by himself in, like, seriously, almost as far north in Canada as you can get, like, literally where there's no cities or anything around. And Mm -hmm. in the documentary, allegedly, he believes that's where the Sasquatch, like, there's a hub of them or something. And in the video, he sets out a whole bunch of apples everywhere, and he's, like, recording them, taking them and stuff. It's kind of a neat thing, you know, if you believe them or not. But uh, he's basically, like, they're really intelligent, and they know when you're around, and they know how to, like, stay out of view and all this shit, so... Yeah, somehow they know how to stay out of a camera's viewfinder and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting one. Like where he was staying at, like if you got hurt or something, you're basically dead because there's nothing around you. Oh yeah, he's up in that like the tundra area. Yeah. The, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. So some some people love it up there though. <laughs> Apparently the Sasquatch does. Yeah. I think if uh would he get into like Yeti territory if it was like an abominable snowman almost like, you know? Yeah. Like I, uh, I don't know. Sasquatch. I thought the Yeti was just like a <clears throat> like uh Asian Bigfoot more or less. You know, like oh, in is the Himalayas. Is that the Himalaya? Yeah. China oh, okay. and yeah. all that, yeah. In my mind, I always think about the, uh, what's that fucking Christmas movie? <laughs> For Rudolph the, the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> that, anytime there's snow on the ground, the Sasquatch's fur just turns white. And then it becomes the Abominable Snowman. Or the great documentary Star Wars. Mm, the, uh, what are they, Wampas? No. Is that what they call them? Nah, uh, Luke fucking cut off the one's arm in the movie. I yeah. forgot what it was called. I yeah. think it's a Wampa. I think. I don't know about I don't I don't know what its name is. But uh anyway, Cody, what do you give the for the legend of the Weejuk? Do you give it a percentage at all? Like what do you think uh about the stories? I mean I I don't know. I've always for me personally, I love cryptids. I love hearing the story. And obviously I think Bigfoot or Sasquatch is probably the most uh reported about one. Do I believe that there could be a creature we don't know about? Sure. Do I think this is one? I don't know, but I can tell you I'd give it maybe like a 5%, but uh, I think the stories are amazing. Yeah, I was a little worried because you're such into like cryptids and that sort of thing. I was a little worried that you would heard of the, uh, well, the Northern Vermont Bigfoot, but yeah, it doesn't sound like you had before. No, I've never, I've never heard it, heard it been referred to as a wee chuck, but then again, like, Native American legends, there's so many of them with different names and stuff, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and uh, they're really interesting, too. I really like the uh, the old creation stories Native Americans uh, had. Those are also really cool. But yeah, this, uh, this one does kind of go along with Sasquatch, but it's kind of a lesser-known one, which is kind of like, I like those ones a little better. But yeah, I would say the chances of it being either a Native American or a bear if it was a real thing are pretty high, but possibly could have been, I mean, hell who knows hundred years ago, they thought pandas and gorillas were cryptids too. So that's true. I, I yeah. feel like human, like I, I always felt like humans can't comprehend that there could be a creature that isn't super intelligent. You know what I mean? Like is able yeah. to avoid detection, but I don't know. It, it, maybe one day we'll find out. Yeah. It's also interesting you keep hearing that, oh, you know, human scientists, we've already found cataloged all of the animals, but they've been saying that since the 1800s. They've always thought that we found everything yeah. until we find something new. So I think the thing that I always found the most interesting when people talk about Sasquatch is they're like, everyone's like, well, why do you never see a body? But then they look back to, uh, I can't, there's certain breeds of uh, primates that bury their dead. So you never find corpses of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I haven't really heard too much about primates that bury their dead, but that is pretty interesting. Oh, if... there definitely is. Huh. Yeah, like I can't, one of them, they can never figure out why they can't find a carcass to any of them, but they actually like bury the dead. That's interesting. Yeah, so. Nor well, you would think also that would be like a little bit of a sentience, you know, to have enough knowledge of it to actually not want to see like a member of your you know group 
just laying dead to actually bury it in the ground. Yeah, I'm, I don't remember why they think they do it, but uh, yeah, it kind of blew my mind when I heard that. Yeah, I'll have to look up that one. All right. Well, yeah, that is two amazing tales uh, from the wacky state of Vermont, apparently the underappreciated state of Vermont, I would say. What do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I had no idea even like what was in Vermont or what it was known for, but apparently the Northern Kingdom has uh, has some interesting things in it. Well, I can say I think you've basically just opened the door to allow us to uh look into other states too you know i'm sure there's plenty of states with like weird shit like this right oh yeah definitely i mean just look at western pennsylvania and what kind of people come out of there there's got to be some wacky shit going on (laughs) that's a very good point well if you want us to perhaps talk about the state you live in or even country maybe maybe you got some weird cryptids or ghosts or weird legends curses whatever uh, where can they contact us at, Phil? They can get a hold of us on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we've heard from a lot of uh, really cool people in the past couple weeks and gotten some nice suggestions, so thanks everybody for that. They can also get a hold of us on Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, that's actually the easiest way to get a hold of us. Check that quite a bit dur- throughout the day. Uh, we also have our own Instagrams, mine's stpodphil. I never check it and almost never post to it. Cody, you got a couple? Yeah, you can add my personal one at Cody Zabub, or you can add my other podcast at Bumblebutt Podcast, or uh, look for Bumblebutt Podcast on your favorite podcasting application. I think you would really like it. Uh, I want to say thank you to the gentleman who reached out to me and uh, gave me a suggestion for a uh, future episode. I really appreciate that, actually, because it kind of uh, you know keeps uh, sometimes... You get in the conspiracies and you're like, what should I do this week? Well, when you get suggestions, it really helps us out, honestly. Um, but uh, the last thing we need you to do, if you could, log on to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review. Preferably written, doesn't really matter what you write. If you are a Spotify user, apparently the new legend is that you need to hit the follow button on whatever... Uh, on the podcast so hit follow on subliminal deception podcast Uh, apparently that helps us rise in the ranks for uh spotify so thank you for that uh phil i think you did an amazing episode i think what population vermont does have will be clapping for you so thank you uh otherwise guys we'll see you next week for another conspiracy thanks guys I mean, for some reason, when it comes to, like, Native Americans, apparently the ghosts of them are just, like, everywhere, ready to haunt everything, you know.